Good evening, everybody. It's lovely to see you. Um, as Paul mentioned, I grew up as part of this church. Um, lots of you I know, and those of you who I don't know, it's lovely to see you too. Um, currently based in Nottingham, where I live with my wife, Rachel, and our 10-month-old daughter, Naomi, who's just starting to learn to move around, so everything in our house is slowly climbing up to the higher shelves. Um, we're part of Grace Church, um, which is a, a church based quite near the city centre. Um, we... Uh, We've been really blessed, actually. Um, obviously, the pandemic's been difficult for lots of people in lots of different ways. Um, but God's actually blessed us with the um, people coming in. And we've, we've actually been able to start a couple of home groups during lockdown. So people meeting on Zoom um, and one day, hopefully, meeting in person. Um, we're also, because we're based uh, near the city centre, we've got a, a good outreach um, to some of the poorer and homeless communities. Um, so we run a really accessible Wednesday service. Um, and as part of that, we, we like to provide a meal. Um, and we're actually in the process of um, building a commercial kitchen um, in order to provide those meals really well. So um, would love your prayers for those kind of things. Thankfulness for God's blessing and continue for his blessing um, as we go forwards. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 11 tonight. That's story that Paul read for us earlier. Um, so if you've got a Bible, turn there. And this is a story about a city being built. This is how it starts. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Let me just pray as we start. Father, as we look at your word tonight and listen to you speak, we pray that your voice would come through clearly. We pray that you would um, in, sharpen our minds to understand what you've got to say to us and warm our hearts and that we would meet you and that we would be transformed as a result of meeting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible begins in a garden, but it ends in a city. So the story of the whole Bible and the story of human history is the story of a city being built. And this comes actually right in the very first pages of the Bible. We're in chapter 11 of Genesis tonight, but the stories in the Old Testament are a bit like episodes of a TV series. Sometimes they make sense on their cells, but to really understand what's going on, we need to know the whole series. So back in Genesis uh, chapter 1, um, it begins, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. So we hear the story of God creating the world, but he doesn't complete it finished. It's formless and empty. And then over the course of the first chapter of Genesis, we hear about how God solves those two problems. So the earth is formless and days one, two and three, God forms it. So he forms the day and the night. And then on day two, he forms the sky and the sea. And on day three, he forms the sea and the land. And then in the next three days, God fills those spaces that he's just created. So he fills on day four, the day and the night with the sun and the moon and the stars. And then day five, he fills the sky and the sea with the birds and the fish. 
And day six, he fills the land with animals and with humans. And all the way along we hear God said it was good. And we, we, we see that God is a powerful king. He simply speaks and it happens. He says and things are created. God is a powerful king who transforms the earth by his word. The powerful king who brings heaven to earth, forming the chaos into order and beauty, filling the emptiness with life and love. And then on day six, when God creates humanity, it says this, uh, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God creates humanity, God creates us in his image. And an image is something that looks like something else. So we are made to look like God and to act like God. And in this chapter, well, God has been forming and filling. And so he makes us to also form and fill the earth, to take the chaos of the world and create beauty and order, to take the emptiness of the world and fill it with life and love. You can imagine um, Adam and Eve a few weeks in, they have a little conversation. Well, it gets a bit nippy at night time, doesn't it? What should we do? Oh, why don't we cut down those trees, put a few branches over, and suddenly they've built a house. A few weeks later, another conversation. Oh, we keep having to go to those mango trees because they're so delicious. But oh, those bushes are in the way. And then Eve says, oh, why don't you just get rid of the bush? Oh, great idea. And suddenly you've got a road. God commands Adam and Eve, God commands humanity to cultivate the ground. This responsibility, this blessing, is sometimes called the cultural mandate. And culture is simply cultivating the earth to create all those things, to create cities and roads. And then, you know, there's Adam and Eve sitting around the campfire and they start to sing and suddenly music's invented. Culture is what God has commanded us to create. And the, the fullest expression of culture is a city. It's a place with buildings and roads and music. So in the Bible, building a city is what we are all commanded to do. So for us, we also have that same cultural mandate. God calls us to build cities. Now, maybe you've never laid a brick, drawn up designs for a town hall or planned a highway, but you are still called to build cities in, in that sense of the word. And you do that. You might make, do that literally. Maybe you do the gardening. You are literally taking chaos depending on your garden. You're taking chaos and turning it to order. Or when you um, organise your house, you are taking the chaos and organising it. Or if you arrange, you're a creative person, you arrange things uh, and and create a gift for someone. Or maybe you're uh, creative with words and you arrange words and write a, um, a kind message. You are doing what God designed you to do, bringing order and beauty to the world. Or filling the world with life and love like God does. Maybe you're a nurse or a doctor and you literally help bring life back into people. Or maybe you're a parent and you're you're involved with bringing up children and you're creating a, a home of life and love. We are all called to build cities. We are all called to create culture. You know, God could have just built that city himself. But he chose to include us in the process. 
Not because he needs to, but because he wants to. A bit like a dad who asks his three-year-old to help him bake some muffins. It would be a lot easier and a lot quicker and a lot less messy if he didn't. But he values the relationship more than the final product. God invites us to be part of the city he is building, to be part of what he's doing, bringing his kingdom from heaven to earth, because he values the relationship. You know, that gives great value to whatever you do. This truth has really transformed the way I drive to work. Because I'm a primary school teacher, and um, I mean, if you stick 30 children in a room, that is chaos. And so my role as a primary school teacher is to bring order to that chaos. Now, sometimes that is hard work. And there's been periods of of my job where I'm driving in in the morning. There's a bit of a dread. But you know what? When I meditate on this truth, it transforms my ability to see that what I am doing is a God-given responsibility and a God-given gifting. That as I go and create order in that classroom, I am bringing God's kingdom from heaven to earth. I am being a representative of him in the classroom. Let me tell you, if you go into your work or your everyday lives with that truth ringing in your ears, it will transform the way that you carry them out. So, we are all city builders. But this story in Genesis 11 is the story of a corrupt city. A city gone wrong. Now, after Adam and Eve are created, given this call, this cultural commission, they fall. They decide that they'll go with their own definition of right and wrong instead of God's. And as a result, they are thrown out of God's presence, out of the Garden of Eden where God's presence was. And they have a son called Cain. But something very interesting, we read about Cain. This is um, Genesis chapter 4. And... um, Someone's moved it in my Bible. No, I'll, uh, it's Genesis 4. Anyway, it's in there. It's definitely in there. Um, God, uh, God has given this commission. After the fall, Cain goes out and we are told that he builds a city. So despite the fact that humanity's fallen, this instinct, this good instinct still stays there. Um, and we hear that actually he's gone east of Eden, away from God's presence which is not a good thing. And then it winds on a bit further in the biblical story. We get to the story of Noah and the flood. And um, God repeats this cultural mandate, this commission, in uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. He says, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Go and keep building cities. And the story of Babel, what do we read? Verse 1, the people have moved east again even further away from the presence of God. So they still have this good instinct to build cities, but they're doing it away from God in a corrupt human way. The cities we build are corrupt. Look how they describe it in verse 4 of chapter 11. They say, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens. They're not building a city for God. They're building a city for themselves. They're not trying to bring heaven down to earth. They're trying to build earth up into heaven. They're not trying to align with God's vision. They're trying to assert their vision. 
We have a good instinct to build cities, to create culture, but it's corruption. And that's important to remember. When we look at the world around us, we will see a lot of things broken and corrupt. You know, music, some music, top, you take the top ten songs on the charts, full of either foul language or ideologies that promote destructive way of lives. I work in schools and I hear eight-year-old children, groups of eight-year-old children singing at the top of their voices words which they don't understand but have sunk into them about these destructive way of lives. Corrupt culture. But let's not throw everything out. Music is a good invention that God has given us, that he wants us to use. Let's not throw it away. Or, or um, Facebook's been in the news over the last month, where, you know, some research that Facebook and Instagram did themselves, where they discover that their apps and social media were having a significantly negative impact on the mental health of teenagers. And they covered it up. Culture is a good thing. Technology is a good thing. Social media can be a good thing. Let's not throw everything away together, but let's recognize that so much of culture is corrupt. So much of the good that God has uh, empowered us to create has been broken. So we are all city builders. You are a city builder. And whatever your week looks like, you are creating culture. You're taking um, chaos and turning it into order and beauty. You're taking emptiness, filling it with light. The tone you set in your office, the rules that you have for your children, when you write a message or call someone, all the things you do are building a city. So the question is, what kind of city are you building? Are you building the kind of city that God wants, or are you building a city like Babel? Here's things in which the city and the Tower of the Babel went wrong. Firstly, look at verse 4 again. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, the book of Genesis, uh, when it was written, there weren't chapters and verses. So to show the different sections, they had to use their words. And Genesis is actually divided into 10 sections, all starting with the phrase, these are the generations of, or, or maybe these are the, this is the family history of. So family trees and family histories are important in Genesis. And why, why would that be the case? I mean, God clearly values families, which if you're involved in raising a family, then there is true value in that. In fact, that's something that our culture often devalues or undervalues. But God values family. But in Genesis, there's something even more significant than that. Because God has promised that through a family, a snake crusher will come. Back in Genesis uh, 1, 2 and 3, we hear the story of evil entering the world through a snake who tempts. And after that, um, in chapter 3, God announces a curse on this snake and says in chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So God promises that through Adam's descendants, through Adam's family, a snake crusher will come. Someone will come who is going to defeat evil. And if you've been around church for long, spoiler alert, it's going to be Jesus. 
But all along they're waiting. Who is going to be this person who is going to crush evil, to set this world back how it should be? And um, so in, in chapter 5, we, we know it's going to be Adam's family. Chapter 5 is just a genealogy. You know, Adam had this son, he had this son, he had this son. And um, I mean, those kind of passages are quite tough going, aren't they? But actually, when you realise, oh, they're looking for a snake crusher to come from this family, suddenly you read a genealogy tracking Adam's family, you realise why. They're waiting for the expected snake crusher, the person who is going to eradicate evil and put the world back to rights. So Genesis chapter 5, it has that first genealogy. It tracks Adam's family all the way through to Noah's family. But then the question is, well, which, which of Noah's sons? Is one of them going to be a snake crusher? Or is the snake crusher going to come from one of their descendants? And um, what you find out in the story of Noah, um, in chapter 9, there's a bit of an incident. Um, and and this, is, this is what we read in chapter 9, um, verse 26. Uh, by the way, it mentions Canaan in here. He's the son of Ham. So the question is, Noah's got three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Which of these sons is going to have the snake crusher come from them? And it says, praise be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth. Japheth's territory, may Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Now, that does sound a bit like of a mental Sudoku to work it out, but the upshot is Seth is the one through whom the snake crusher is going to come. So, oh, great, it was going to come through Adam's family, now it's going to come through Noah's family, oh, it's going to come through Shem. We're still looking. Where is this promised snake crusher going to come from? Now, the story of Babel is actually sandwiched in between two genealogies. Why on earth has it been put in between two genealogies? Because if this is a book from God, I mean, firstly, I probably wouldn't have put the genealogies in myself, but God in his wisdom inspired people to. And when we start to dig in them, we realise why. So, So there must be a reason that the Tower of Babel story comes between these two genealogies. Well, if we look at them, we'll see why. So, track, track with me on this, because there is, there's a truth hiding behind this. Um, the Tower of Babel comes in chapter 11. Just before that, in chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 1, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons. So again, we've got a family tree, a genealogy of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we know Shem's family is where, where we want to be looking for the snake crusher. Um, and if we go down to verse 21, we see uh, it's focused in on Shem's family. So Shem's family... Um, verse 21, sons were also born to Shem, whose elder brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Hmm, now that's interesting. He's suddenly pointed out Eber. Why has he pointed out Eber? Well, if you look down the genealogy, verse 22, the sons of Shem, one of them is called Arphaxad. Then verse 23, um, sorry, verse 24, Arphaxad has a son called Shelah. And then Shelah, verse 25, has a, uh, verse 24, has a son called Eber. Okay, you following? So we've got Shem, we've got Arphaxad, we've got Sheila, and then we've got Eber. But he's pointing out Eber. So there's something important about Eber. Shem, great-grandson Eber. What do we find out about Eber? Verse 25, two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was Joktan. What on earth is going on here? We've got a list of names which seemingly random, and then we've got random comments like that. And you've got to remember that at the time the Bible was written, papyrus cost a lot to make. So these details must be important. Why is it telling us 
about this chap Eber, who's got two sons, Peleg and Joktan. And why is it pointing out that Peleg, which is a Hebrew word that sounds a bit like divide, why is it pointing out that the world was divided in his time? And what does that even mean? Well, that, earth being divided, is referring to the story of Babel. Um, Because as we saw in the story of Babel, afterwards the people divide across the world. Okay, now let's jump to the genealogy after Babel. Um, So this is chapter 11, verse 10. This is the account of Shem's family line. Oh, we're back to Shem again. Okay, what what have we got this time? So Shem, in verse... uh, 10, Shem have Arphaxad again. We knew that from before. Verse 12, Arphaxad has Shelah. We knew that from before. Verse 14, Shelah has Eber. And then verse 16, Eber has Peleg. And oh, Joktan's not mentioning this time. Okay, so here's what we've got. We've got a genealogy before. And we've got Seth, whose great-grandson is Eber. He has two sons, um, Joktan and Peleg. And we've got exactly the same afterwards. But here's the difference. The genealogy before the story of Babel tracks the story of Joktan. And that line just disappears. Then we get the story of Babel, the story of a people making a name for themselves. And then we get another genealogy going down to Eber, but this time we're following a different son, Peleg. And look who that line goes to. Look at the end of chapter uh, Look at the end of that genealogy in verse 26. It traces all the way through that son. Verse 26, after Terah had left, he became the father of Abraham. It tracks down to Abraham. And there's a really interesting thing that we read in the story of Abraham. Look at chapter 12. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and from your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Here's the point. We've got a line, a family line of people that were not chosen. And then we get the story of Babel where people try to make a name for themselves. And then we get a family line that God has chosen, that leads to a man called Abraham, who who God says, I will make your name great. The reason the world is divided by those two is because there are two kinds of people in the world. There are the people who want to make a name for themselves. There are people who want to build their own name and make it great. And there are people who accept the name that God makes great, who we know that through Adam's, uh, Abraham's descendants comes Jesus. You are either somebody who is all about making your own name great or someone who accepts that Jesus is the name that God has made great and associate with that. The world is divided into people who want to build their own route to blessing, like the people in the story of the Tower of Babel. And the people who accept God's route to blessing through the family of Abraham that leads to Jesus. The world is divided into people who want to create their own snake crusher and those who accept God's snake crusher. Those who want to eradicate evil by themselves and those who accept that Jesus is the one who eradicates evil. The world is divided into people who try to build their own salvation and people who accept the salvation that God offers. Or in the words of the New Testament, those who live by works and those who live by faith. 
That idea is not a new one that comes up in the New Testament. It is throughout the whole of the Bible. Jesus is the only source of salvation. Jesus is the only one who can bring us back into the presence of God that has been lost. Jesus is the only one who can show us what it truly means to be human. Jesus is the only one who can fix the relationship that has been broken between us and God. The relationship that has broken between us and others. And only if we build our foundation on Jesus will our cities stand. You know, if you look around um, society today, what are the biggest buildings we've got? We've got shopping centres, sports stadiums and businesses to do with finance. And those are the places that we go to worship the gods of stuff and fame and success. But those foundations, although you know money's not a bad thing in itself, but can become the source of bad things if it gets corrupted. Success isn't a bad thing in itself, but if it becomes the source of everything that we hope for, our worth and our sense of purpose, then it becomes a bad thing. A lot of our society is founded on the wrong foundations. So here's a question. What is the foundation of your life? Is Jesus the only source of salvation in your life? Now, if you call yourself a Christian, you say yes, because that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to accept that he is the only one who can provide my purpose and my worth. But sometimes the way we live doesn't add up to that. Sometimes we live as if, well, if I maximize my comfort, then then I will be truly happy. And so we choose to value comfort over the way of life that Jesus commands us to live. Or sometimes uh, we value security. And so we choose to make decisions based on what makes us most secure rather than living the way that Jesus commands us to live. What is the foundation of your life? The only solid foundation which will last is if your decisions are made on who Jesus is. If your decisions are made recognizing that Jesus is the only one who can offer true security, true hope, true purpose. Now, this story pivots on verse 5. See, the people have said, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They're trying to do exactly the opposite of what God wants them to do. God had said, go, fill the earth. And they're saying, well, let's stay together so we're not scattered. They've elevated themselves above God. They've said, oh, we'll do things our way, not God's way. But then, verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower they were building. You know, this story is, is set up to the people saying, look how great. And then God looks down and it's almost like he can barely see the tiny tower that they're building. The Lord has to come down to see it. You know, the greatest of human achievements is nothing compared to the God. It's a a Lego tower next to some great skyscraper. What we think is great and what God thinks is great can be two different things. When you look at your life, when you think about your family, when you think about your career, when you think about your relationships, 
Do you look at them through your eyes or do you look at them through God's eyes? Do you decide how well they are going based on your criteria or God's criteria? God has given us a whole book full of guidance of how he wants us to live our lives. Yet so often we can slip into making decisions based on other factors. What makes comfortable? What makes me feel most secure? What do I think is right? Don't look at your life through your eyes. Look at your life through his eyes. Because God has called us to build cities, called us to be involved in the world, creating order and beauty, filling it with life and love. And he doesn't want us to miss out on the grand calling that he's invited us to be part of. So often we will settle for lesser things. You know, these people, they were building this tower, this alternative city, to make a name for themselves and to stop themselves being scattered. What happens at the end of this story? They get a name, but it's not a name they made for themselves. Verse 8. The Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. Babel is a Hebrew word that sounds like confusion. It kind of works in English as well. They're called Babel because they were babbling on there. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They ended up being called confusion. God frustrated their plans. They wanted to gather and not be scattered. What happens to them? The Lord scattered them over the earth. If you live your life and make your decisions based on your definition of right and wrong, of your values of what is good rather than God's values, it will come crumbling down. But the good news is that God doesn't want us to be left like that. God sent his son Jesus into the world to re-invite us back into our original purpose. When you look around at the world and you see all the ways that it's going wrong, when you see social media giants covering up the addiction and the mental harm that they're causing people, when you feel relational pain because of the way that people have treated you, when you see wars and corrupt politicians, it's okay because the Lord sees. He comes down and sees and he says, this is not how it's going to end. And as Christians, as the church, we get invited to be part of a new community that is rebuilding this world. Every time you bring God's kingdom to earth, every time you speak a kind word, every time you give up your energy for someone who needs it, every time you go out of your way to put someone else's needs above yours, you are placing a brick on the kingdom of God. And that is a kingdom that Hebrews tells us cannot be shaken. Psalm says, unless the Lord builds the house, the workers work in vain. The Tower of Babel, it's not even ruins now, it's gone. They built in vain. But if we live our lives focused on Jesus, living his way, we will not build in vain. And Jesus promises, I will build my church. If you are a Christian, you are part of that promise. 
God says to you, I will build you. I will change you. I will grow you. And by his spirit, he empowers us to be that change in this world. We're living in the middle of the story, but let me finish by reading a glimpse of the end. In Revelation 7, it says this. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude. God had said, fill the earth and suddenly the earth is filled. God had commanded a city to be built and suddenly we're seeing the new Jerusalem, the city that God had intended. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their house, in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They were part of a city that would last forever. Part of a city that was built on the foundation of Jesus and Jesus as the only way of salvation. We are invited to be part of that. And we are invited to be part of sharing that with the rest of the world that desperately needs it. Jesus will build his church and he invites us to be part of the process.